everybody, and welcome to Lights, Camera, Exploitation, your guide to exploitive cinema. This is the pod boss, TJ Bowser, and joining me as always is my doppelganger, Kanga Banger from Down Under, Mr. Brody Kane. Howdy, howdy, mateys. And Mr. Risky Business. How y'all doing out there? <laughs> Today <laughs> is July 2nd, 2021, and we got a doozy of an episode for you today. But first, it's time for your slice of life. Brody Kane, how goes it? It all goes, mate. It all goes. Uh, currently moving house at the moment, so it's been, been pretty chaotic these last few days. Um, I really don't miss moving house. I fucking hate it, if anything. But uh, we've got a good group of people there giving us a hand, so we're getting shit done quickly, which is good. So hopefully we should be done by tomorrow, if not today at the latest. But yeah, other than that, working as always, mate. Uh, oh, my 88 films, Puppet Master 2. Mm. came this week and my god it looks good on blu-ray glorious Glorious. when was the last time you watched Uh, that film i'd have to say it would have been at least five years ago Mm. i reckon yeah it's weird because i tend to get these uh puppet master cravings every every now and then Mm. and just revisit the whole franchise from start to finish and actually which led me to this week uh buying a blade replica yes I see that, yeah, full moon nice. having a, uh, is a 4th of July sale? Yes. Yep. And yeah, I thought I'd treat myself. So yeah, they, they've sent it out on, and I'm just impatiently waiting for it to rock up on my doorstep. But yeah, other than that, mate, um, not much, not much. Watch this fantastic film, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. What about you, Slick Nick? I'm pretty much, uh, just hanging out, uh, working as always. Um, not mostly just getting ready for this trip, <laughs> uh, two weeks from now. Gonna be gone, uh, big cross country road trip for pretty much the entire week. Uh, so getting some camping stuff together, all the just everything packed away and squared away for when I'm gonna be gone and everything. Um, I watched a couple of movies. Uh, I finally actually saw Knives Out, which, I missed a couple years ago when that came out and that was really, really fucking good. Um, I also watched uh, Unhinged with Russell Crowe, um, which was was pretty good as well. I heard you saw that one in theaters, Brody. I didn't even know it got a theatrical release. It's just on Amazon up here. Yeah, um, I, think, I think that was partially due to like when COVID first started. So yeah. it was playing in selective theaters down even down this way so but yeah fantastic film yeah it was really good um i mean other than that watching this movie just kind of getting stuff together to to get out and get on vacation in a couple weeks which will be really nice honestly about you tj well last week whenever we were supposed to record i got fucking deathly ill so we had to put it on pause for a little bit and we will be making it up over the course of the next couple weeks with uh, double episodes and stuff. Trying to catch up with you guys on Le Content. But I got a package from Germany in from my friend Rod Lane at betteroffdead.eu. He sent me my Nightmare on Elm Street 4 diner glove and it's absolutely glorious. And I can't wait to display it properly. I also got a package in from Vinegar Syndrome from their Black Friday sale. Finally, but I found out why it took so long is because they added a movie from my lovely co-host Brody Kane here. He sent me the film The Color and it is glorious featuring Madeline Smith and Malcolm McDowell. It is a two-person cast and it is a thrill ride beginning to end. I'd recommend that film to anyone who likes a Hitchcockian style with a genre-bending twist at the end. Check that out via Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah. Thank you, Brody, once again. But yes, I also got the Scanner Cop 1 and 2 4K set and that looks fantastic in 4K. The coloring, the HDR is just something that is just, oh, I never thought I would ever see these films presented in such glorious fashion. Thank you 
rescue and wonderful job on the documentaries featured in those films as well. That is tremendous. But I am excited to talk about this lost gem. I'm thankful that George mentioned it before we lost him. That way the hunt began so we can talk about it on this episode. And that is The Amusement Park from 1973. your fortune told. We want to see what our life is going to be like. What part of life? When we get old. Are you sure? Yeah. You must see it all to the end. Sir, there's nothing outside. I'm going outside anyway. There's, there's nothing outside. Nothing. One of these times, the door will open in your life and you will step into the amusement park. Anticipation for the future and curiosity for what you will find there. The man in the amusement park is a mirror image of yourself, separated only by the passage of time. Why are you Hello? There's nothing, nothing. Uh, Ah, there. I'll see for myself. Bye. I'll see you in the park someday. And that is from director George A. Romero, who also did Night of the Living Dead in 1968, Martin in 1977, Creep Show in 1982, and Survival of the Dead in 2009. Writers Wally Cook, cinematographer S. William Hinsman, who also worked on The Crazies in 1973, Santa Claus in 1996, one of Brody's favorites, Captured Alive in 1997, and Solidatics in 2002. Editor would also be George A. Romero. Other films he edited would be There's Always Vanilla in 1971, the Crazies in 1973, Dawn of the Dead in 1978, oh, the perfect film, and Night Riders in 1981. Producers Richard P. Rubenstein, we've heard that on many other shows, Day of the Dead in 1985, Pet Cemetery in 1989, Brody's favorite movie, Thinner in 1996, and Dune in 2021. Sound by Michael Gornick, who would become a DP on films such as Dawn of the Dead in 1978, Night Riders in 1981, Creep Show in 1982, and Day of the Dead in 1985. And then let's mention some of the restoration crew, that, and that is Sandra Schulberg, the president of the Indie Collect. And then the restoration colorist is Anastasia Kippola, who also worked on Home Movie in 19, from 1973, a comedy in Six Unnatural Acts from 1975, Thank You and Good Night in 1991, and Wiki Watchy Girls from 2000. And then our restoration sound guy would be Phil Mahoney, who also worked on Repairman from 2011, The Undertaker's Son in 2017, Wallflower in 2018, and the return of Gabriel in 2020. Now, the initial budget from this, or the, what are we calling this uh, film, this short, this masterpiece, it was $37,000. It was commissioned by a church, boys? That would be correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. The Lutheran Service Society. Okay, that's where that $37,000 came into play, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later, starring the only trained actor in this, and that is Lincoln Mazel, who also did an episode of Net Playhouse in 1966, and Martin with George Romero 
Romero in 1977. Some other names will be Harry Albacker, Phyllis Casterweiler, Pete Chauvin, Marion Cook, and Sally Irwin. Brody? An elder... Fuck me. An elderly gentleman goes for what he assumes will be an ordinary day at the amusement park, only to find himself in the middle of a hellish nightmare instead. Hell yeah. And that he does. Okay, so this film won no awards, mainly because of the fact that it was hidden. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely shelved immediately. (laughs) Yes. So there is no let's get physical segment to this show because there's no physical release of this film. But I do want to mention that it is currently available for streaming on Shudder. And those of you who are a Shutter subscriber, go watch that immediately. And if you aren't, definitely go check it out. I do want to mention that this film is restored in 4K from two available 16 millimeter prints that are not of the best quality. But we will uh, mention here in the notes coming up about the extensive restoration process that this film undergone so we could watch it today. Boys, take it away. Originally commissioned as an hour-long educational film about the plight of the elderly by the Lutheran Service Society in the director's adopted hometown of Pittsburgh. The project saw Ramiro broke after a copyright gaffe and a string of commercial flops step in as a director for hire and then make it his own. Looking to put food on the table while getting his next project, The Crazies, up and running, Ramiro was receptive when approached by the Lutheran Society who wanted to create an educational film about society's poor treatment of the elderly with a script by Walton Cook, one of the rare Ramiro projects he did not write himself. Ramiro's only work for hire called The Amusement Park was apparently so disturbing that the Lutheran Society never released it. Quote, I know a lot of people have been using the word lost, but it wasn't really quite lost, says Romero's widow, Suzanne Desrochers Romero. It was more about it being shelved, I guess, maybe. It was really not a film. It was a PSA. It was meant to be shown in Lutheran Society community centers. They probably thought it was a bit edgier than they would have liked, even when I went to the gerontology department at the University of Pittsburgh and showed them the film, they thought it was way too edgy. They were completely taken aback by it. So I imagine that in 1973, they would have felt the same way. In an interview with uh, Den of Geek about George and releasing the film, Suzanne Ramiro states, I had been basically his gatekeeper since 2005, and I had never heard him mention this film ever in any of his interviews. A friend of ours, Julia, who was a programmer of the Torino Film Festival, had the film. She gave me the 16, which I put in my office and a DVD. Just three or four weeks before George's death in July 2017, I have to say I was gobsmacked. Suzanne also states that first of all, it's even hard to describe. It's so unique. It's edgy. It's still relevant. It still has Ramiro all over it. I said to him, what the heck? You never mentioned this. He goes, well, it was a community thing. It was nothing. So humble. I know, right? <laughs> he makes a PSA really good. He's like, ah, crap. <laughs> When asked in an interview about the production, pre-production with journalist Colin Souter, Roger Ebert, Suzanne Romero states it was it was a $37,000 budget. It was, as George would say, a three-day bing-bang-boom. Walton Cook wrote a script, but it was very... There's not much dialogue in the film, as you know. It's a very thin script. He was hired, and Lincoln Maisel was the only Guild member, so he had to be paid. As it turns out, after it was shot and put in the can, he donated his fee back to the film, so it was a very lovely gesture. Lincoln died at 103 years old. I didn't know that. I've spoken to his grandchildren who said he loved a be- lived a beautiful long life, so that's great. When I went to try and find another print 
my print was terrible. So I called the Lutheran Society and hoped that they would have a print, but they had no record of the film. They had no record of it being commissioned. Zero. We did find another print. It was worse than mine, so we ended up using the one that I had. Indie Collect did the best that they could. They performed miracles because it was a disaster. Frame by frame, they fixed it, and then it was getting all my ducks in a row to see if I could get this film out, because I thought it was an important film to have, you know, exposed for A, Romero, and B, the subject matter, which is terribly important. That it is. That it is. Mm -hmm. uh, Suzanne also talks about rediscovering George's underrated and undiscovered films for the fans, and she states that it is wonderful, I have to say. I'm so glad he is front of mind for a lot of people who are Romero f uh, fans, and I feel like my job has been done, and I hope to do more. I just think that the part of his legacy is to unbox him from the box that he was in and to have him be discovered as an artist not so much as a zombie director even though there is nothing dispar disparaging about that statement because I think it's fantastic I just want people to understand that there were other layers to him I find it interesting that people are starting to discover him in a much larger context maybe a lot of people haven't seen Martin or certainly have not seen Bruiser or Knight Riders and maybe it's time for them to take a look at these films and take a look at his art Suzanne also talking about uh, the restoration process of the film. She said, uh, well, it was a mess, no doubt about it. My copy was the best of the three, but it was warped. It was ripped, scratched, and faded. It was all of those things. First of all, technology today is astounding. You know, they have such great equipment. It was painstaking. It was frame by frame by frame. I would come in and oversee or take a look at how it was coming along. The sound was separate from the actual pictures, so we needed to work that out as well. There was a piece of music that we couldn't find, so we couldn't get it licensed, so we had to use something else. So yeah, there was some stuff to go through with the process, but they did such a terrific job, of course. I see every scratch, every fade, but you know, it's patina. It's 1973. It's not high res, so we just have to get over it. When asked what this was like for Suzanne as a personal journey of rediscovering her husband's life work, Suzanne is quoted by saying, it's a labor of love. I've told this story before but when we were playing Scrabble about five weeks before he passed I asked him what he thought his legacy was and he said ah nobody really cares and I thought oh my god I have to say it disturbed me big time I didn't say anything at the time and then he passed and I kept hearing those words it gave me the push to prove him wrong so that's what I'm doing I'm proving him wrong every day I'm proving him wrong because I do think people care I do think that I would like to take him out of that box and have him seen as a filmmaker an artist and an American artist someone who had a voice someone who had something to say and used use film to say it say rightfully so um, so uh, I think lastly over at the George A. Romero Foundation uh, org, Suzanne states that although not a horror film in the traditional sense this recruitment film is disturbing in its depiction of societal indifference to aging. Even though it's early into his career, it is a fascinating look at the footprint of Romero's cinematic style. Well, boys, let's talk about it! <laughs> Okay, so what was your favorite performance? Brother Kane, take it away. I loved Lincoln Mason. My God. He, his performance mm -hmm. was fucking incredible in this film. Um, and for him not to have done any more films, like I think, was it only three films Martin, he's done? Mostly, it's his feature. Mm-hmm. 
oh my god, this man! I honestly believe he could have won an Oscar. Right? If he had of yeah, right. yeah. Oh. And and it's much it's much more than A grade acting, um, especially you know as this world. Uh, batters and beats him into this empty shell of a man throughout the film. Um, but he also brings that lovable presence, um, mm-hmm. which you do see um, with that interaction with the girl near the end. Um, but it's, yeah, that realism that Ramiro intended on and it, and it hurts to see him become that character, I find. So, yeah, I'd have to go with our lead, Lincoln Maisel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to agree um, for sure. I mean, from start to finish, the happier-go-lucky version of himself at the beginning, uh, and he just plays the full range all the way down to the end. Uh, like you said, the scene near the end with him talking to the girl and everything, that like somehow manages to be one of the most wholesome scenes and one of the most just absolutely heartbreaking ones at the same time. Um, and I really think he really displayed that range. Um, he he definitely could have done more. I feel like it would have helped his career a lot for this to have been released as well, for sure, if it was you know early like it was. Because obviously Romero liked him enough to have him star in Martin after this. I mean, rightfully so. Um, I can't really think of any others that stand out that much throughout the course of the film, aside from him. Though, to be fair, for a lot of it, a lot of it is just kind of surrealism. So people are, are sort of in and out a little bit because it kind of assaults you with like the overstimulation of just all the people and everything in the park. Um, I will have to say the lady who played the older version of the uh, the teenage woman that goes into the Chris very the good fortune teller. Great. Her like panic of trying to get her husband help while she's on the payphone. The doctor's not listening to her and like all of that. It hurt to watch, but like in in a good way, kind of. So I would say like honorary mention go to her. But you TJ on board with us? Or? Yeah, I think we're all going to be on the same page with this performance. Okay. I think Lincoln just takes it home and it's just a completely believable performance and you know for such a bare bones script his body like his body language tells such an interesting story and it tells so much and we see such an interesting progression of his character throughout the course of this film and it's it's really fucking awesome the way that he portrays this this character the way that he translated the script it's, it's very believable very realistic and he's very relatable Absolutely. I've just got to, and this might go down as maybe favorite scene, but I've just got to point out his opening and ending monologue. He, yeah, he is complete. He feels like a completely different person. That's haunting in and of itself, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the way he separates himself as the character to his everyday self uh, with these monologues, it's like you think he was two different actors. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And for an actor to do that, it hasn't really done much work. Like that's, that's incredible. I feel like this should have been in Tales of the Dark Side. Yeah. Well, it feels like a Twilight Zone episode, I felt. Yeah. It kind of does. I just, yeah, say, I, I, just I, say, really... I just say tales because I feel like didn't Romero work on tales? Yeah, definitely, it, uh, definitely would fit along those lines of his because it's, it's not like a feature type thing, but it's just how metaphorical it is and the way that the story loops. It's definitely that sort of style where it's that it can stand alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Didn't uh, George A. Romero uh, was it him or someone else class Tales of the Dark Side as Creepshow Three? Mm. Heard that before. Someone has actually stated that I think Romero class mm. Tales of the Dark Side as Creepshow 3. Look, an authentic voodoo doll. Somebody already sent for it. Yeah, we can't get that. But yeah, uh, favorite set piece. Um, I, I actually just went with like the Dodgem car ride. Um, you know, oh, the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's just, oh, I don't know, like, because it was actually, it was a really entertaining scene. And, um, but this was the, I, I'm sort of elaborating. You know what my favorite scene. part of the, uh, the, uh, car scene is? Yes. Old yes. mate Romero showing up. up. <laughs> <laughs> Not even pick up on that until you've actually, actually told me that. And I went back and watched it. I'm like, oh, fuck, there he is. He didn't even yeah. have a beard. I know, right? It's so strange like, seeing him off. like that. Yeah. That's so cool. like, because he's done, you know, uh, cameos in his work pretty much all throughout it. You know, he's the mayor from the original crazies and all that as well. Beginning of so, Dawn of Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it was, it was cool to see that. I, I didn't catch it the first time either, mm-hmm. just because he looked so different right. that when I was going back and doing the notes and everything, I was like, oh shit, he was in it. Oh, it was the douchebag in the bumper car. You guys oh. didn't uh, <laughs> mention it, but uh, since we are on the, the, the topic of sets, the uh, amusement park has been demolished, I believe. Yes. Um, I believe it was, it was like Westview. Yeah. It's not park was the name. Yeah. Uh, I think it was what, New Jersey or something. Nope. It would have been close PA. to like, it was Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, I'm thinking of um, action park. The there other one go. that closed. Cause it was getting everyone injured as shit. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, uh, it should be Westview park. I believe Westview park and Westview, Pennsylvania. Okay. All right. So I was right. Um, yeah. I was going to say, I, I saw that as well too. It got torn down, what, like the 90s or something. Like it was around for a little while after it. But yeah, um, I think if I had to choose a set piece, I'd probably have to go between the. Closed 1977. Uh, oh, wait. Oh, so it only made it another four years after that came out. Dang. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, uh, Kenny Wood kind of beat them out shortly after that. Okay. Yeah, that's another. That's, yeah. This, this is north of oh, Pittsburgh. Lovely. This Westview Park is, and Kenny Wood's kind of took over as the, the main attraction. Uh, Kenny Wood would be used in the you. films uh, Adventureland. Oh, no shit. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I fucking love that movie. Yes. Uh, um, oh, yeah. Um, anyway, set piece. <laughs> I think I have, to, uh, I have to choose between... The, is it the fun house that he goes into that's like the physical therapy treatment center oh. that's basically a freaking like torture room right. that he like runs out of and everyone in the in the line outside yeah. like no you'll love it in there and I'll try to get him to go back in a elderly friendly ride and he goes in and it's just the workout area for horrible yeah it's like, yeah, like an old elderly daycare yeah it's fucked it just he panics and runs back out yeah i'd say either that or the um the white room opening i've because gotta go with the it, white room so fucking insane i just beginning of, it's day of the dead right yeah where she yeah i was as soon as it popped up i went oh, i know where he used that again <laughs> but the door in the randomly in the middle of the fucking oh Charlie is so beyond his time he is is thinking way oh. beyond his time because this shit would become popular like 40 years later. <laughs> right. <laughs> Man, it's so good. What about, uh, what about you, Brady? Oh uh, yeah, no, I already, I already said, yeah, you, said uh, the bumper cars. you said the bumper cars. Yeah. Actually it was for the reason I didn't say, yeah. I forgot to mention it was for the reason that this was the moment it actually fucking this scene, like I was saying, uh, this was the moment where it hit me. Ah. It made me question my own actions mm. towards old people and not to mention our league, once again, you know, I feel at this moment is where he really starts to break down. Just mm-hmm. and you can tell by the expressions on his face in the scene. I the mean, moment really they, the cop doesn't take him seriously because of his glasses, you really see it in his face, like like it just yeah. his soul leave his body. Like it's just like yeah, that one hurt. Yeah, yeah, Ugh. yeah. That that was. 
Yeah, that's me. What about you, Mr. Bowser? Yeah, I, I love the amusement park. Just that whole setting alone and using it as a metaphor for life is just fantastic. It's, yeah, I'm just going to go with the amusement park. <laughs> no, it's fair. I really do like it as sort of the metaphor for just going through life, all the different rides and everything and that. Oh, man, that intro of all the all the elderly people having to sell like all of their stuff just to the ticket taker just to get in. Mm-hmm. He's so good. <laughs> He's just so good at establishing that that just metaphor for everything which i mean dawn of the dead american consumerism the crazies vietnam war all that he's or like he is you know just establishing himself as using you know these settings for the metaphors of watching the, the crazies in well. 2020 was eye-opening i can see that it's terrifying i should probably rewatch the uh the original here sometime yeah. soon as well i showed i showed the boys at the same time like a cdc web web page screenshot that i that i had which, which pretty much outlined the same things that happy happened in the crazies as a contingency plan for COVID and it really freaked them out. So we talked about that on that episode <laughs> and I was, yeah, this is going to be taken out in the edit, but uh, I totally had them convinced that the episode was going to get taken down because we talked about all this shit. And it- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many times he said pandemic and virus on that episode, but I'm surprised it's still up. Fucking A. But yeah, fa- favorite scene, boys. Well, I actually, I had the opening and ending scene. Yeah. Where, you know, you got this happy man talking to a depressed version of himself. Um, but then to see it come full circle, like a never ending cycle. Train ride is haunting to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that never ending cycle that just represents like society even today with subject matter you know it, it's it'll be all it'll be irrelevant till the end of days for generations to come this subject matter and i think that he intended on doing that in that way for that reason because it's just a never-ending cycle of the life um i yeah i think yeah the opening and the ending scene to me was fucking fantastic in that white room just to have it all repeat over again it's the, actually haunting the train mm-hmm. scene had me was really where i started was like was where, where i was really started feeling the film and then any shot of death after the initial shot of him on the train is just so haunting and so well done and and it's it's so realistic in life because it's kind of it's oh that's always around its corner if you just make one mistake and it's it's rad the way that that he keeps that in the film and it's just always a character in the background mm-hmm. and he like he's even glimpse of him on the carousel he's even present during the biker scene and now yeah. now brody mm-hmm. now we can talk about that now this is probably a good time to talk about it. brody and i had prior discussion of what the biker scene and how we interpreted the biker scene. Now, I want to say, since that conversation with Brody, I have came across maybe a way to interpret it. What if they're the visual representation of chaos? Yes. I suppose I can see that. There's just another manifestation of just a matter of fact of life he gets, coming in. Because he gets beat, yeah. and then death flashes there for a couple minutes, for a couple frames, and then he's and then whenever he's coming to, nobody's helping him. I just saw those guys because it was so random because it was chaos, because chaos kind of happens out of nowhere. You really can never predict it. And that's just how I saw it. Again, that scene is super interpreted so, yeah so how, yeah absolutely and and how i saw it was is when he gets knocked over he's everyone that is vanished so he's in his own little realm where death is basically knocking on his door and then when he comes back to reality you see people start walking into the frame so it's just for that little segment and i uh, honestly yeah i think you're right tj yeah there's it's just a quick mm-hmm. moment of like you know basically knocking on death's door but yeah that, that's how i seen it so yeah no, i can definitely agree with that it's pretty similar to the same i, I idea that I had for it as well. Um, like you said, it is super interpretive. Pretty much anyone's going to look at it and see it differently. And it's probably just going to be depending on their experience in life. And really? Fun, fun fact, those bikes were later used in Dawn of the Dead. Oh, that's awesome. No, I just made that up. 
<laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I just do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think people will really do that. I'd like to actually know what type of mask that is. <laughs> what was that, Brody? I'd actually like to know what type of mask that is. On death? Yeah. It was, yeah, it's terrifying. It just an old man. Yeah, it's pretty fucking... I bet you there's a name board. for it. If you ask uh, Sir Lancelot, I bet you he'll know. Okay, so favorite effect or death? I guess death's not really a... Uh, happens in this film more as a, as a theme. So effect... I'd say mine is is probably the like time skip in the fortune teller's tent when the two kids go in there and they want to see their future together. Less it, it, effect, more camera trick. The leg, mm. the shot of the leg moving whenever, mm. but it's but it's being forced to move in the room. Right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No, that is pretty yeah. gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is tough. Yeah, say, can we count editing because like any editing on the fucking roller coaster is rad? <laughs> it's just yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I was, I was going to say the effect of death himself just popping up every now and then. I yeah. think that's a fucking cool mm-hmm. little thing in itself. Yeah, cause I was going to say there is there is more editing than effects mm-hmm. in this. It's they almost use the editing as an effect itself, and the, yeah, and the cinematography is fantastic on it as well. Every shot is just perfectly well thought out i mean um you know why this is so unique because this has never been done before somebody like this big this type of director who tells stories this way has never been told to like do a psa like this right this is such Which, a weird amalgamation of an opportunity <laughs> i know right some of what i saw was people interpreting it is they they believed he was too cynical about it and even beforehand it was like did they see his earlier movies yeah like it's fairly cynical <laughs> like did they not watch it's pretty on par with that yeah, it is. It is very similar in ways, I think, to The Crazies and Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead in a way, which I think it's kind of funny that it's an even five year just stopgap between the two of those. Five years before this movie, he was doing Night of the Living Dead. Five years after this movie, he's launched into Dawn of the Dead at that point. Like it really just kind of shows that little perfect stopgap in the early 70s that he was in, uh, that he still had that same vision that would just go on and he was going to do it, whether it was a low budget PSA or an actual big project like the crazies. So segue like a mall cop and the thoughts on story, Nick. Gotcha. Um, it's extremely <laughs> important, uh, especially now. Yes. Uh, I mean, like, especially now it, everyone, a lot of the time, I'm going to give you a really dismissive. Okay. Boomer. Yeah, no, it's fair. Um, I'm sorry, I won't really get into specifics for my work, but in my work day to day, I do talk to a lot of elderly people who have been like gotten by scams and things like that. So it did kind of hit a little bit home as well. Plus just my great grandma has been alive my entire life. My great, great grandma was alive when I was a little kid. Uh, so I'm used to having family members around that are like at that kind of a point and seeing them trying to keep their driver's license for as long as possible, trying to remain an active part of the world while it just seems like the world is just kind of trying to like push them back and be like, okay, we can leave you behind now. It's done. You're over. (laughs) Like things like that to like my dad and I have a standing pact because uh, I was born and my parents are pretty young. So there is an actual chance we could both have been in an old folks home at the same time. So we have a pact of like, neither of us do that. (laughs) So... Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of my sort of takeaways, my thoughts on it. Um, about you guys, Brody? Do you want to go uh, first, or yeah, yeah, I'll just uh, I'll quickly add to like what I was saying before, like um, you know, it really displays uh, that realism of society and what it what it is even today, and it's just a really irrelevant subject matter. And but I I do like how this story includes 
you miss the part to help display the meaning, like of the film. Easier like to take it in. I mean, with metaphor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, like the roller coaster ride scene where it's just a roller coaster ride of emotions. You're up and down throughout life. It's just, um, you know, it's it's a smart smart thing to do, especially like you said, it's way ahead of its time to use these metaphors. Um, but yeah, I honestly think that this this uh, this story will never die, especially in real life, because humans are basically pieces of shit when it comes to the end of it at the end of the day. Yeah. So yeah. Fair assessment. No, I- <laughs> okay, so if I get a little long-winded, let me know. So like most people, I struggle with my own mortality. So this film challenges your mortality. It makes you think of your own mortality right from the get-go as Lincoln reminds you that you too will grow old one day. So that lingers on your mind as soon as the film starts and it sits there for the entire duration that you sit and watch this man go through literal hell, aka life. And it's it's touching on a multitude of levels. I was very close with my grandmother and I took care of her in her final days and monthly up to her death and I saw the decline and I see what age does to a person and just what and just time does and, it, and it's it, it's truly tolling and it's and it's heartbreaking at times and especially the way that society treats those people the way that the society reacts to those people is truly despicable and you shouldn't look down on the people that are older we should look look to those in more higher regard as they have more life experience they know more than us as they lived it they survived it they wouldn't be here if they didn't know what they were talking about because they're still fucking here and the entire point of living is to survive so why are we even the fact that it's even an issue in society is just sad and and like Nick said ageism is still prevalent today and it might be even worse than ever it's just the way that things are are going with our society and with social media it's just the older you get the more pushed out you're you're becoming and it's it's easier to put people in a nursing home than put up the work yourself and to take care of your loved ones and it's it's kind of sad and I hope that when people watch this movie it inspires them to, to do better for themselves and those people that they love or claim to love at least because those people are the ones that matter most not the people who are liking your Instagram post or liking your Facebook post those don't matter at all those don't mean fuck all as Brody would say get with your family get with your loved ones take care of them make memories that's pretty much Fucking it a. yeah seriously like Damn. you don't know how long they're still gonna be around you know spend as much time with them as you possibly can takeaways boys to wrap it up I think I mostly kind of gave, gave mine how um, did it how did this how did this film impact you how did it make you feel I will start off by saying that the thir- first thing that come to my head when the end credits are rolling is the thing is the world basically chews you up and spits you back out mm-hmm. you know from the day that we're brought into this world you know uh, we we are all instantly dying of a slow death and when we reach that old age you fade into society where you know they they won't have anything or have anything to do with you anymore. And, and as scary as it is, some of us don't even make it to the amusement park. So I also feel that you could show this film to different generations to come. It it really hits close to home. And you basically took the words out of my mouth when you were saying about your grandparents and all that. The same thing happened to me. So that really really um, hit hit me for six after like really eating this film up thinking about it over and over again and even to this day i still think about it and i'm like just trying to elaborate with the fucking meaning behind it because it really represents everyone's everyone's life in 
in this world. So yeah, that was just yeah, yeah well, I seen it. Yeah, I say a similar thought. Um, no, say because I had my great grandma that was around for a long time as well, uh, who I will still have dreams about being at her house as a kid, or even just like now, like I'll just have a dream or something. She's still alive, kicking around, and I'm going over to that house, and it's not you know some random person mm-hmm. living there instead. Um, because yeah, no, I mean we're all either gonna get there or like the meteor hits ahead of time or something, mm-hmm. but like it it one way or the other we're all gonna get there and i always try to kind of spin things at least in a positive manner if i if i can i'm just being like just be the best person that you can because like you don't know if you're gonna get to the amusement park or not and you may as well at least try to leave it a better place than it was before you came in um sure that yeah like that's really that should be the goal of everybody is is to leave things better than how they got there it's i mean look look at the things that i do with project louder i mean our voices will echo on forever because of this so think about that okay boys that's gonna last longer than you yeah sorry (laughs) this this is our legacy boys so let's rate this trips to the park out of five roadie i'm gonna give it a 4.2 okay i'm gonna give it a four and a half I want to give it a 4.75. That is a LCE score of 4.5 out of 5 for 1973's The Amusement Park by George A. Romero. Now, uh, closing conversations as to thicken this episode up. Uh, how would you rank this amongst Romero films top five? Brody? Fuck. Man, you put me on the spot here. Oh. Top five Romero films. Or does this rank within your top five Romero films now? You know what? I actually, it would be either four or five. Four or five. Because I, look, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of like, obviously his zombie works, but I like to try and uh, take in his previous work. Like I've mentioned to you in the past, Bruiser. That's another one that yeah. I actually really appreciate. Um, even Monkey Shines, uh, as batshit crazy as that film is, I, I actually enjoy it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd probably put it in my – do you know what? I'd probably put it in my top four. Okay. Uh, Nick, what I was gonna sorry, say as number four. Yeah, that was what I was going to say is, is, is probably going to be my number four. And it just would be squeaking out uh, Night of the Living Dead, the OG one. Yeah. Um, it's, the only thing. Yeah, it's sitting around the same for me, four or five. I just, just can't beat Dawn of the Dead for it, me, man. It, it, well, okay. <laughs> I don't think – you know, I had this conversation <laughs> with people. They're like, what's your favorite horror movie? You know, I'm like, Dawn of the Dead. No. Well, what's your favorite movie? Dawn of the Dead. Like, it, it, has, every, it has everything. You don't need anything other than Dawn of the Dead. Zombies in a, in a mall. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, my top three would be Dawn of the Dead, the original Crazies, Day of the Dead. Yeah. Easy. Well, how about this? Let's do our top five Ramiro picks. Okay. Can we do that? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll start off. Dawn, Day, Creep Show 2, Night, Amusement Park. Very nice. What about you, Slick Nick? Um, so, yeah. Um, Dawn of the Dead, the OG Crazies, uh, and then Day of the Dead, I would say Amusement Park, and then Night. Very nice. Very nice indeed. I would have to go with Day of the Dead, uh, Bruiser. I really like Bruiser. No, sorry, the Dark Half. I'm going to go the Dark Half as my second <laughs> Then I'll Exotic. go Bruiser. Monkey Shot. No, not Monkey Shines. Monkey Shines last. Um, fucking sorry. I'll balls this all up. <laughs> <laughs> as I do every week. So, yeah, what do I have? Day of the Dead, The Dark Half, Monkey Shines, The Amusement Park, and shit, what was my last one? You didn't say Dawn. Or do you not like I'll that film? Dawn of the Dead. No, no, no. Actually, no, I like it. I'll, I'll just go Dawn of the Dead. 
Don't know the thought of. Okay. Huh? Fucking A. Yeah, I, I, being from Pittsburgh and just having that Romero legacy always prevalent everywhere we go. I mean, even when you go to the Monroeville Mall, they have a bust of George in there commemorating his work in his filmmaking. And it's just, it's it, it, it's awesome. And they have the Living Dead Museum inside that mall as well. And it has a lot of props from his films. And it's just, it's really cool being able to go and visit that mall and see all the, and still, still be able to see those places where the, the zombies roamed and then go to the other places that he films. And I hope one day I'm able to go to that bunker and check out the Day of the Dead areas and stuff. Oh, yeah. uh, it's a storage place. It's like an upscale storage place for people who want to put their boats and RVs in the middle of the mount. But you can get uh, tours because it has significant uh, historical value. So and I do think that one thing that we should talk about is that the Two Evil Eyes movie that he did with Dario Argento. I think that that movie's uh, mm. interesting. I, uh, yeah. Again, still yet to say that Dawn of the Dead wouldn't have happened clues. if Dario uh, didn't send him that money. Yes, right. absolutely. <laughs> Fucking A. So, guys, next week's film, Brody. Actually, let's announce the change up. So, Nick's going to be on Beetleback Mountain with the Beetle Bros. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you'll be gone for two weeks. I shall, yes. I will be uh, stuffed into a van for hours and days on end with my friends, yes. <laughs> so, in the meantime, Steve Vasquez, Lord Scuba Steve, from the Somewhat Supernatural podcast, will be filling in for Slick Nick here, and he will be bringing us next week's episode which will be Brody will be one of my picks from down under and it is Lee Winnell's upgrade from 2017 that, that would be correct yes that would be correct yes excellent and I can't wait to talk about this this uh this is the fucking coolest throwback to 80s sci-fi mm-hmm. horror flicks um you're gonna enjoy it I believe you haven't seen it yet Mr. Bowser I haven't I don't indulge a lot in modern cinema so it's nice whenever I do get to watch stuff like this especially Lee Winnell's work I am a massive fan of his Invisible Man film, so I'm excited to see this one. And I'm excited to expose all you LCE listeners out there to Scuba Steve and what he has to offer from his perspective on film. Yeah, excited to uh, expose more of the Project Louder family to you guys and bring you more exquisite content. Sorry for the delay again this week, but it is what it is, as the Macho Man would say. So without further ado, that it is my goodbye for this week. This is the pod boss, TJ Bowser, saying, see you later. This is your doppelganger, Kanga Banger, all the way from down under saying sayonara bitches like nick here saying i hope you all enjoy steve in my place and i will see you all in a couple weeks Mwah.